Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So one of the things that my wife and I like to do together is watch makeover shows. Now, I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with the characters on the screen. Uh, I personally love watching home makeover shows like the Extreme Makeover Home Edition, or I think a lot of you know the folks in the top left corner right there, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They have this amazing show called Fixer Upper. Um, Wardrobe makeover shows, or this show by this wonderful woman named Marie Kondo. I feel like last year, it seemed like everyone and their mother were saying thank you to their raggedy clothes and then chucking it. Um, Shows like this, or business makeovers, or relationship makeovers. I love shows that can take something that looks beat up. Shows that take something that looks like the best days have already gone by hopeless and redeem it and turn it into something beautiful again. I love that. So um, my wife and I were watching one of these shows. Because come on, man. I mean, we're still in like COVID quarantine times. We're watching a lot of Netflix. And um, one of the episodes that we were watching this week was about um, helping a first generation immigrant family. So we had a dad, had a mom, and four kids, and the show was centered on helping this family launch a new restaurant. This was their dream, to launch a new restaurant. Now, this was a classic immigrant story, right? Uh, It's chasing after the American dream. You had parents who immigrated from another country to America. They did not know how to speak a lick of English when they first came here. Uh, They worked hard, long hours to make ends meet. The dad, he was working 18 to 20 hours a day. 18 to 20 hours a day so that his kids could have a better future, a better life than he did when he was their age. And of course, because of the culture clash of the old world culture of life in their homeland and the new world culture of life here, um, there was a lot of friction between the parents and the kids. Now, of course, that's what happened with one of the kids, the eldest child, the daughter. And things between the oldest daughter and the dad got so bad that she ended up leaving the home. She just left. Actually, she just left out of the blue with no warning to mom and dad. Uh, uh, Yeah. I think uh, the show said she was about 20 years old. So she was really young when she left the home. And for over a year, she did not talk to them. She did not see them. So I'm watching the show with my wife in our living room. We put the kids down. And this, oh my goodness, this show is hitting me hard. Because every single part of this family story is resonating with me. Because, guys, that's my story. That's my story. That's my family. Because my family, my mom and dad, first generation immigrants from South Korea. My folks came here with nothing, like literally nothing. They didn't speak English. And I just remember the early years of our lives living in the Bronx, growing up when I was young, it was a grind, man. It was a grind. 
My parents, I remember, they, they left home at 5 in the morning, so I didn't wake up to them. And they would come home at 8 o'clock at night. So growing up, I rarely saw my folks. I rarely saw my folks. And, and, and I thank God for my uncle because he's the one who really raised me growing up in the Bronx. And that parent-child dynamic in that show, I mean, that was me and my dad. For most of my life, I lived with so much tension, so much tension, so much culture clash between the old world and the new world. Now, you know, going back to the show, like, so the main goal of the show was to help this family open up a restaurant. So, of course, you know, the TV hosts, they're doing their magic extreme makeover work. They're turning this hole-in-the-wall property into this beautiful restaurant. And in the middle of this restaurant makeover, one of the TV hosts sets up a meeting between the dad and that daughter who left. And um, for the first time, For the first time between these two folks, the daughter and the father talked about why things went bad between them, why things went sour between them. The daughter shared how she felt hurt, she felt ignored, how she felt like dad just never took the time or didn't seem interested in trying to understand her. And the father shared how It was just so hard for him to juggle adjusting to new life in a new country, learning a new language, let alone trying to like survive, right, support the kids, and throw in parenting in there. And he also shared how he felt so hurt that his own flesh and blood left the house because in that culture, children live at the home until they're married. So for a child to leave their home before getting married was kind of like them cutting themselves off from the family. So for the first time, the daughter and the father were able to enter into each other's world. Listen. Understand. Eventually, both parties apologized. Um, Both parties forgave each other, and they reconciled. And it was a, wow, man, it, it was a really, really powerful scene. I mean, I mean, everyone was crying, right? The father was crying, the daughter was crying, the TV host who was like sitting in the corner of the room, he's bawling, and of course, I'm a crybaby. I'm bawling as I'm watching this in the living room with my wife. If you've ever received or experienced reconciliation before, friends, you know how powerful that is. Right? I mean, if you've ever experienced a relationship that was once broken and fractured and now healed and restored, you know how powerful that is. That reconciliation can completely change the trajectory of any relationship. So friends, today, uh, can I remind you, can I share with you that reconciliation matters to God? Reconciliation matters to God. In fact, reconciliation is so important that it's one of the main themes that we see throughout the entire Bible. From the Old to the New Testament, you see the theme of reconciliation run throughout. And it's a core, core tenet of our Christian faith. In fact, it's the reason why God sent Jesus to us. So that's why I want to focus on today's Bible passage. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Now, you know... Listen, this is my first time preaching in front of an empty crowd. I usually like um, when all of us read together. So even though you're not here, can we read together, please? So 
here we go. This is from the ESV. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making us appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but in this passage, Paul uses the word reconcile five times. Clearly, clearly, friends, Paul wants us to pay attention to this. So that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to focus on this idea, biblical reconciliation. So there's two questions that I want us to kind of think about, and the first one is this. What exactly is reconciliation? What's biblical reconciliation? And two is this. How do we live our lives as recipients of this biblical reconciliation? So let's go. The first one. What is biblical reconciliation? Now, one of the definitions that I've found says this, that reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it also includes a removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. Uh, Another definition I found says this, uh, that reconciliation is when two parties are at war with each other and then decide to make up their differences, that's reconciliation. So, time out. Are you at war with someone? Are you at war with someone? Family member? Friend? Neighbor? Maybe someone from RK? Maybe you're at war with God. Or maybe, just maybe, this person is sitting next to you right now. If that's, if that's the case, please don't walk away. Please don't walk away. Please listen to this message. This uh, definition goes on. It said, the Greek word, so the Greek word for reconciliation is this word called katalage. And what this word basically means is change or exchange. So when used in relationships between people, the term reconciliation implies a change in attitude on the part of both the individuals. It's a change from enmity to friendship. So when used to describe the relationship existing between God and a person, the term then implies the change of attitude on on the part of both person and God. Now, of course, the need to change the sinful ways of a human being is obvious, but some argue that no change is needed on the part of God. However, inherent in the doctrine of justification, now this is key, guys, is a changed attitude of God toward the sinner. God declares a person who was formerly an enemy now righteous before him. Amen? Now, okay, that was kind of a mouthful. So 
uh, I tried simplifying these definitions, and, and, and I wanted to make a nice, short, and simple one. And so this is what I came up with. Biblical reconciliation is the supernatural work of God that restores a fractured relationship from hostility and enmity to peace and love through Christ-centered humility and forgiveness. So going back to our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's two parties that Paul talks about in reconciliation. It's God and us. And <laughs> friends, let me be so clear. Between us and God, there is only one side that has fractured this relationship. And can I give you a hint? It's not God. Okay. Romans 3, 23 makes it very clear. For all have sinned, you and me, for all have sinned. For all of us are the reasons why we fractured our relationship with God and we fall short of the glory of God. So friends, not only did we fracture our relationship with God, we are also incapable of fixing our relationship with God. So this inability, our inability to reconcile, to fix, to mend, to restore our relationship with God, it reminds me of a parable that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 18. In this story, uh, he talks about a king who came to settle his financial accounts with his servants. And there was one servant in particular that uh, Jesus pointed out, that this servant owed the king 10 thousand talents. Could you say 10,000 talents with me? Yeah. Now, to give you some historical perspective, one talent during that time, it was the largest unit of measurement of weight for silver and gold. So, one talent was equivalent to about 20 years of wages for a laborer. So, if you're not good with math, I'll do this for you, all right? This servant owed 10,000 talents, which is about 200,000 years of wages. Now, uh, can, I, can I just give you kind of a modern perspective on this? Um, let's just say this servant, uh, I'm accounting for inflation, okay? Uh, let's just say he made 50,000 US dollars a year. Let's just say. That means this servant owed the king $10 billion. Billion. He owed $10 billion. So what's the point that Jesus is trying to make here? Why choose such a ridiculous number like that? Because, friends, I believe that Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear that it was absolutely impossible, impossible for the servant to pay back the king. Only one person could wipe this servant's debt clean, and that was the king. Only he could. Friends, can we be honest? You and me, we're the servant. We're the servant. We're the ones who fractured our relationship with God. 
we're the ones who have racked up a debt against God so absurdly high, there's nothing that we could ever do to pay him back. We can't do anything to reconcile with God. But only one person could wipe our debt clean with God. Only one person could reconcile our relationship with God. Which leads me to my next point, friends, about biblical reconciliation. And it's that biblical reconciliation is initiated by God and ultimately accomplished through Jesus. I'll say it again. That biblical reconciliation is initiated by God and accomplished through Jesus. Romans 5.18 says that all this is from God who reconciled, I'm sorry, that's 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God and through Christ reconciled us to himself. Romans 3, 5, 23 to 25 says that um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, that's God initiated, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So friends, I just want to make this clear. God alone initiates reconciliation between us and him. God alone makes a way for us to come back to him. Amen? He did not initiate this reconciliation process because, you know, you're a really good guy. You know, you're a great girl because you have great morals. He didn't do it because you're a generous giver. He didn't do it because you're just a great volunteer at Risen King Church. No. Friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you came from, who your family is. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. We contribute nothing for God to initiate reconciliation with us. I'm just going to hammer home this point, friends, because we can't do it. We just can't do it. But God can. And he did. The Bible says that God reconciles us back to him by sending Jesus to us. I mean, friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel message that Jesus laid down his life on the cross as a payment for our sins, right? For the debt that we racked up. So when Jesus died on the cross, two things happened, friends. Now, uh, I'm going to share two kind of fancy words with you. These are words that uh, you learn in seminary. You paid a lot of money to learn things like this, but I'm going to just give it to you for free, all right? It's these two words called expiation and propitiation. So the first thing is expiation. That means that Jesus settles our accounts with God. Amen. So when we sin against God, right, we are the offenders. God is the offended. So a price has to be paid for what we've did to God, right? And a price is paid. Except in this situation, the offended pays the price of the offenders. Now, remember in Matthew 18 how that servant owed the king like a ridiculous amount of money, like 200,000 years worth of wages? So basically, you can say that God paid the 200,000 years worth of wages that we owe to him by offering Jesus as that payment. And as if that isn't ridiculous enough, right? God takes it to the next level. 
because this payment isn't just for that one time. That payment is good for life. Amen. That payment is good for life. So, so Jesus doesn't have to die again and again and again for our sins. No, it's once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, our passage, verse 19 says, In Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So I was thinking about this. It's, it's, it's kind of like having a credit card where you can go on a shopping spree and you get that monthly bill right next month and the balance is always zero. Like, can I get on that train, please? Because, you know, like I need new clothes because if I'm be honest with you, friends, COVID-19 made me gain COVID-10 pounds. So, yeah, I would love to have that. Because of your offenses against God, because of my offenses against God, he settles our bill through Jesus. Expiation. And then expiation activates propitiation, which is this. Now his anger and wrath towards us is appeased. Now that our account was paid by Jesus, God no longer sees us as objects of wrath and scorn, but now he sees us as justified sons and daughters. Amen? Isn't that good news? We're no longer objects of his wrath. He doesn't see us like a debtor anymore, but we're now objects of favor. We're now objects of blessing as sons and daughters. He treats us like his kids. He treats us like Jesus. Romans 8, 17 says that if you're in Christ, you are an heir. You're an heir of God, co-heirs with Jesus. And friends, as reconciled sons, as reconciled daughters, you've probably heard this in many of Pastor Mike's preaching, but I'm going to say it again. As reconciled ones, we can now enjoy the blessings and the favor and can I just say the birthrights of what it comes to being a son and a daughter? Like your identity in Christ is secure. Your worth and value in Christ as an heir is secure. Your eternal destiny in Christ, that secure. And not just that, but the same spirit, the same power that flowed in Jesus while walking on earth is the same spirit that is in you, empowering you. And you have the access to the power and the fruit of the spirit that Jesus has. Amen. That's good news, man. This is why gospel is such an amazing, amazing message. And that's why the message of reconciliation is so powerful. The reconciliation is complete and perfect, covering mankind both extensively and intensively, that is, all sinners and all sin. The cause of rupture between God and sinners has now been healed, a truth wholly independent of humanity's mood or attitude. Basically, it's not us, but him. So while sinners were still the objects of God's just wrath, Christ, in full harmony with the gracious will of his heavenly Father, has interposed himself for their sake, for the restoration of harmony. Friends, that's good news, right? That's good news. So now, this leads us to the second question, the last question, is as recipients of biblical reconciliation, what do we do? Right, there has to be 
action to it. And it's this. Those who are reconciled in Christ are called to be reconcilers in Christ. So could you say this with me? Reconciled in Christ to be reconcilers in Christ. Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are now ambassadors for Christ. Now, there are, there's three things I want to say about this passage right here. One is this, that this ministry of reconciliation is God-given, God-entrusted responsibility for those who are reconciled in Jesus. So this is not just for Mike. It's not just for Pastor Lisa. It's not just for Pastor Isaiah, Pastor Gay, Pastor Ashley, Pastor Ami, me. It's not for the elders, not for the leaders. It's not for the holy ones. No, it's for you. If you say, Jesus is my Lord, if you say that you are a follower of Christ, this is your God-given, God-entrusted responsibility. And two, this ministry of reconciliation is God-led. Now, it's interesting that Paul clarifies what this kind of ministry looks like. He says that it's like being an ambassador. Now, um, if you know anything about being an ambassador, like an ambassador, like if one of our U.S. ambassadors, let's just say to Canada, that person can't go to Canada and just do whatever he or she wants to do, whenever she or he or she wants to do it, and say whatever he or she wants to say. Like, that's not how it works. Ambassador's job is to execute the plan that the leader initiates. Ambassadors go where the leader tells them to go, and the ambassador says what the leader wants them to say. They are a messenger carrying the plan of the leader. Likewise, friends, I believe that we as ministers of reconciliation, we minister wherever God sends us. And we minister to whoever God sends us to. Amen? And the third one is this, that I believe that our ministry of reconciliation is both a vertical and a horizontal work. And this is what I mean. Um, it's a vertical work in that we are called to spread the message of reconciliation, and we, our, our job is to help people connect with Jesus so they too can receive this reconciliation, this reconciled relationship with God. So it's a vertical work, but I also believe it's a horizontal work, right? Because not only is it connecting people to Jesus, but I also believe it's also a reconciliation between man. People to people. And here's the thing, friends. I believe the work of vertical and horizontal reconciliation, it has to go hand in hand, friends. It can't be separated. Uh, if you go to 1 John chapter 4, it says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Friends, we cannot be reconciled with God, but refuse to reconcile with others. The way of the cross, friends, demands vertical, horizontal reconciliation. Guys, there's no cross if it's just this. 
There's no cross if it's just that. You need both. He calls us to both. Amen. He calls us to both. And friends, if there's ever a time, if there is ever a time we need to minister God's message of reconciliation to the world, it's now. It's now. Because I don't know about you guys, but the last month, um, like I've just felt my soul be really heavy with everything going on in America. I mean, just turn on the news, you know, and there's so much pain. There's a lot of pain. A lot of pain. A lot of brokenness, friends. Um, a lot of brokenness and pain in our families, a lot of pain and brokenness with uh, relationships, pain and brokenness. I mean, gosh, it's everywhere. I mean, this disease, COVID-19, has killed 134,000 people in America. And it's only climbing. There's a lot of pain in that. And while we're fighting against this new disease in COVID-19, we're still, we're still fighting against the old disease that, that's plagued America since its birth. Racism. And racial injustice. Folks, racism, come on, let's be real. It's here. And its evil tentacles have infiltrated every part of our society. And I mean every part, including the church. Like, can we be honest right now? Can we be real right now? Like, friends, if, if you ever hear a follower of Jesus utter racist words, if you ever see a follower of Jesus treat someone with contempt and hatred just because of the color of their skin, I guarantee you that brother, that sister in Christ is not ministering the message of reconciliation. I'll be so bold as to say that that person is not hearing from the Lord. I'll be so bold as to say that that person is not attuned to the heart of God. If that person really is a follower of Jesus, I'll be so bold as to say I think that person has gone absolutely rogue. Because friends, the, the message of reconciliation and the message of racism I don't see how they can coexist. Because one seeks to bring healing, restoration, and the other seeks to oppress and divide. I mean, according to the Bible that I'm reading, one is a message from heaven, and the other is a message from hell. I mean, am I making myself clear, friends? Like,
And if you're watching this right now, or if you're listening to this right now, and um, you have personally experienced racism or hatred, can I just say, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. No, just, gosh, just reading article after article of acts of hate and racism, it's just really grieved my heart. And I, and, and I grieve with you. And I want you to know that God grieves with you because it's not right. You don't deserve that. And I want you to know this is not God's desire for your life. And friends, for as long as there is brokenness in this world, friends, for as long as there's brokenness in our homes, for as long as there's brokenness in America, in this world, for as long, I mean, come on, man, for as long as racism exists in America, in this world, friends, we need to minister the message of reconciliation. Amen. We need to minister the message of reconciliation because, friends, this world needs it. This world needs it. So how do we do that? How can we begin to move as a minister of this message of reconciliation? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I think I have a good starting place. Let's follow the example of Jesus. And I, and I can't just, I can't help but think of this to be a great starting place in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself. I'll say it again. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, I think there's three actionable steps we can take. These are a good place to start. And the first is this. Can we humble ourselves? The ministry of reconciliation, friends, at its core is a self-sacrificial ministry. Um, the Bible makes it pretty clear that Jesus came on earth to serve. I mean, I think a lot of you know the classic verse in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, verse 28 says that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we have to humble ourselves, which means I think, no, no, nothing, I know there's going to be a lot of dying to your place of comfort. There's going to be a lot of dying to your pride. 
I think it starts here. Let's humble ourselves. And the second is this. We have to enter into the other person's world. We have to listen. We have to learn. If you notice in, in, you know, in, in our main passage that Jesus entered our world. Notice that he didn't reconcile us from the throne room, throne room of God. He didn't do it from heaven. He was right here with the people, right here with us. He entered our world. And friends, I believe that by entering our world, that Jesus was able to see what we see. He was able to feel what we feel. And he was able to experience the shortcomings and the limitations of a human existence, human experience. Friends, we cannot reconcile with others. We cannot help others to be reconciled to Jesus or to one another if we're going to stay in our safe space. It may make you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to steal a phrase from my friend Kyle Evans. He was in a panel discussion about race with the young adults a few weeks ago. He said, we better start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Enter into each other's worlds. And the third is this. Be the message of reconciliation. What do I mean? Friends, tell your story. Point people to Jesus and how he moved in your life. Tell people how Jesus settled your account with God. Tell people how you are no longer an object of wrath, of shame, of condemnation, but now you are a recipient of amazing blessing, amazing grace, amazing favor because of what Jesus did in your life. Could you share that? Friends, if you have any offenses to own with love and humility, would you please own them? Would you own them? Would you seek forgiveness? And if someone has offended you with love and mercy, would you forgive? Friends, why? Why do we do all of this? Why do all of this? Because the world is in tremendous pain. And this grieves God. Friends, the world needs Jesus. I'll say it again. The world needs Jesus. The world needs the restorative, the life-changing, relationship-changing, culture-changing power of reconciliation that's only found in Jesus. So now, you, ambassadors in Christ, you, recipients of Christ's reconciliation, would you go? Go, friends. Go in humility. Would you go? Go in Christ's love. Would you go and minister Christ's reconciliation in this world. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for reminding us, reminding us of this truth. Thank you for reminding us, God, that once we were enemies before you, but now we're friends. Not just friends, but you called us beloved sons, beloved daughters. And it's not because of what we did, but it's because of what you did, God. Thank you. Thank you for initiating reconciliation with us. Thank you for, for paying such a precious price for that by sending Jesus to us. You know what? Um, I just feel led. If you're, friends, if, if you're listening right now and you do not have a, you don't have this reconciled relationship with God. If you're listening right now and you do not have a relationship with God, but you're saying, I want it. If that's you, or if, 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 if you do have a relationship with God through Christ, but maybe you've walked away and you're just feeling that conviction in your soul saying, I think it's time for me to come back. Friends, w- would you come? Friends, would you receive this reconciliation that's only found in Jesus? If that's you, um, could you just pray with me right now? I mean, you can, you can repeat the words that I say as well, but could you just repeat these words and just say, Heavenly Father, I receive this reconciliation. I receive the reconciliation that you've provided through Jesus. I confess that I was your enemy. But now in Christ, I am a son. I am your daughter. I receive your grace. I receive this reconciliation. I declare that I am now a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I am now an object of your blessing. I am now an object of your favor as your child. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, if God, if there's anyone in our lives, God, that we need to reconcile with, Lord, if there's anyone around us in our spheres of influence that need to hear this message of reconciliation, Holy Spirit, would you start popping those names in our minds right now? Would you start just bringing images of those faces right now? And Lord, send us. Lord, open doors and opportunities for us to speak 
talk, share our story, to listen to their story, to minister your message of reconciliation in Jesus. Lord, this world needs you. Minister your love, God. This world needs you. For your glory and your fame alone, we seal this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.